Hey, let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you this morning for Jesus. I want to thank you, Jesus, for paying the ultimate price, giving your life that we could have freedom. Father, I'm grateful for Father's Day. Lord, one of the greatest privileges, one of the greatest honors, one of the greatest joys in my life has been and will be being a father. Lord, I pray for the men in this service that they're strengthened, that they're refreshed, and they're encouraged today, and that you have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach to the men this morning, but this is for everybody, so let me set this up before I start. I want to talk to dads. I want to talk to stepdads. I want to talk to fathers, to grandfathers, to great-grandfathers. I want to talk to uncles. I want to talk to young men who are maybe not even married yet. I want to talk to young men who are married but maybe don't have children yet. This message is for every single man in the room. Now, this is not a lady-bashing Sunday, okay? Ladies, amen? Amen. Thank God for women. Where would we be without our wives and without our mothers? So that's not what this is. But what I want to do this morning is I want to do two things. Men, I want to encourage you. All right, let me stop right here and say, gentlemen, as I look across this room, I'm so grateful that you're in church. I'm so grateful that you haven't sent your family to church, but that you've brought your family to church. One of my hearts for Tulia Christian Fellowship has always been this. I wanted a church that was full of strong men. Now, that does not leave the ladies out in any regard, but I can remember growing up, and we would go to church, and a lot of times church was just women and children. The men were off doing something else. And so I always wanted a church where a man felt welcomed, a man felt like he could be a part, and I, and I believe that we have that, and I'm so grateful. So men, I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you've said yes to Jesus in your life. So I want to encourage you. Then the second thing I want to do today is I want to challenge you, all right? I want to challenge you to take some steps and do some things. So I want to read to you this morning out of the Old Testament. I'm going to read out of the book of Malachi. Before I do, let me set this up. There's not anything in the Bible by accident. There's not anything placed in the Bible by accident. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and this is just the last few verses in the Old Testament. And where it's placed, I believe, is strategic by the hand of God. It's If I was sending you off on a journey and I had one last thing to say to you, it wouldn't be frivolous, it would be important. So God is saying something at the end of the Old Testament that's important. And what he does is he speaks to families and he speaks to fathers and he speaks to children. And so if it mattered to God, it matters to us. Amen? So I'm going to read to you this morning out of Malachi 4, and I'm going to start with verse 5. It says, Behold, or look, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Let me read it again. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Family matters to God. Fathers matter to God. Children matter to God. And this verse says that if the hearts of fathers are not turned to their children, and children's hearts are not turned to their fathers, that there's going to be a curse on the land. In a lot of ways, we see that going on right now. The kids growing up in America today, we see it in Ground Zero. We see it in Power Kids every single week. We have lots and lots of boys and girls, lots and lots of young teenagers who live in fatherless homes. And so God is saying, hey, guys, I want to turn your heart towards your children. Now, I want to show you something that really matters and that's really important. Gentlemen, you have 
influence. One of the greatest lies of the devil is that what you say doesn't matter and that you don't have a voice and you don't have a leg to stand on. And the devil will use that, gentlemen, to keep you quiet. Listen, I want to say it loud and I want to say it clear. Men, you matter. You have influence. Here's the first place you do. Obviously, it's in your family. All right, you have influence and you matter. I can tell you when somebody has a harsh word for me or a discouraging word for me or criticizes me, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. But when my father was alive and he did it, it carried much more weight. Gentlemen, your words, your attitude, and your heart carry tremendous weight in your family. Here's the second place is in church. I've said already, I'm grateful you're in church, but let me just really emphasize something to you. You guys, let me talk to every man in the room that's 50 and older, okay? 50 and older. Look around this room at the young men in church. Can I tell you, gentlemen, you need to engage those younger men, and you need to say hello, you need to introduce yourself, you need to shake their hands, and you need to say, hey, I'm glad you're in church. Hey, I'm glad you're choosing Jesus Christ. I'm glad you're choosing right. We need to be encouraging each other. Let me tell you something else. All of you men, this church is full of teenagers and full of children, and they need a pat on the head if they're children. They need a hug. They need an encouraging word. Listen, we've got to be encouraging encouraging one another. Men, you have influence in this church. Here's the next place you have influence, and it's obviously in your job. Now, that is one place sometimes that it's easy to not speak up and not say anything. Now, I'm not asking you to cause trouble at your job. That's not, that's not my heart, but my heart is you have influence. You have influence, and a right word at the right time or to not laugh at a dirty joke at the right time, you have influence. Don't think you don't have influence. Many of you guys run businesses. Many of you work in companies, and you have influence, and you can use your influence in a right way. Then the last place, of course, is our community. The community that you live in, the county that we live in, listen, gentlemen, that's one of the things I love most about Tulia is that we're there for each other. We care about each other and that we're involved in this community and that we influence one another. Now, I want to read you another verse this morning. I want to read to you out of the New Testament now, and I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians. Now, here's what I've done this morning. Hopefully, I've encouraged you. Now, I want to show a scripture to you, and I want to challenge you with some things that I would like to encourage you to do. Let me read to you out of 1 Thessalonians. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you read that verse, Pastor? Because I want to focus on something. You're a three-part being. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody in this room, you are a spirit, you have a soul. What's your soul? Well, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You have a soul, and you live in a body. You see, this is my earth suit, and I need it to be on this planet. If something happens to it too drastic, I can't stay on this planet. You are an eternal spiritual being. You have a mind and you live in a body. And what I want to talk to you about, gentlemen, is how to develop each one of those areas in your life. Here's the first challenge I want to give to you. What if this morning, this Sunday in June, the summer of 2016, you decided, I'm not going to make any more excuses in my life? What if it was today? 
Ladies, you can jump right on this wagon train right here with me. What if today was the day that you decided, I'm going to draw a line in the sand, I'm going to carefully hang my toes, and I'm going to stop making excuses for my sin, for my addictions, for the darkness in my life, for the way I compromise, the way I look the other way, the way I keep my mouth shut? What if today was the day that you decided, I'm not going to make any more excuses for my life? Number two. What if you decided to stop taking the path of least resistance? What if you stopped taking the easy way out? Now listen to me very carefully. Don't miss this. What if you decided you were going to begin to be hard on yourself? Now, I don't mean hard in a negative way. I don't mean hard in an unrighteous way. I don't mean self-abuse. But you just decided, I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and I'm going to stop making excuses for the way I live. Oh, well, you know, I can't help being mad. That's just who I am. Or, you know, you just make me mad. You stop making excuses for your attitude. You stop making excuses for the unrighteous behavior in your life towards your wife and your children and the people you work with. And you decide, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop being easy on myself. I'm going to stop taking the path of least resistance. Today's the day. Father's Day, 2016. The summer of 2016 in June. I'm going to begin to make some changes. Now listen, I'm not asking for perfection. That's not my heart. Every man in this room, has a look, as I look across this room, I see strengths in every single one of you. I could go across this room and name names, <coughs> excuse me, right now this morning, and I see strengths, I see talents, I see gifts, I see abilities. You will never know what an influence you are in my life, how much you encourage me, how much you strengthen me, and how much you minister to me on a regular basis. Not just the men, but every single one of you. But I also know this, we have weaknesses, and I'm talking about me too. Now, what are we supposed to do, Pastor? Well, you're supposed to live in your strengths and then grow and improve in your weaknesses. So what if today was the day that you said as a husband, you said as a father, you said as a grandfather, you say as a dad in a blended family, you say as an uncle, hey, I'm going to stop making excuses and I'm going to begin to make some changes in my life. Now, imagine this morning that your life is like a wagon wheel. Everybody in here, when I say the word wagon wheel, you see that picture in your head, don't you? That steel wheel, and it's wooden inside, and it has the center, and it has the spokes around it. We all see that in your mind. Okay, imagine this morning your life is a wagon wheel. The center of that wagon wheel is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, if you haven't made Jesus the center of your life yet, then you almost haven't made it to first base. But you decide, hey, Jesus is the center of my life. I made that decision a long time ago. He's the center of my life. Then outside of that center are all these spokes, and each one of these spokes are different things. They can be your marriage. It can be your schooling. It can be uh, your recreation. Anything in your life you would add inside that wheel, and you have those spokes. Now, here's the thing. If you lose spokes out of that wheel, you can lose one or two of them, and the wheel will probably stay intact. But you know as well as I do, if you lose three or four of them, then the wheel will begin to disintegrate, and you'll have problems in your life. So here's what I want to do with the time I have left. Imagine your life is a wagon wheel. The core is Jesus Christ. Then there's areas in your life, and I want to take time this morning and talk about those areas. Let's talk about the first and most important one, and it's your spiritual life. What if you decided today that you were going to stop making excuses for your spiritual life? 
and you're going to begin to be hard on yourself and you're going to stop taking the path of least resistance. What do you mean, Pastor? Uh, it may mean simply setting your alarm 20 minutes earlier and getting up so you have 10 minutes to read your Bible. Oh, but Pastor, I'm not a morning person. I mean, I love that bad. Uh, it may mean taking 15 minutes at lunch. It may mean taking 15 minutes before you go to bed. Let's talk for just a minute about your spiritual life. Are you, are you pleased with your life spiritually? Are you pleased with how it's going this summer? Are you on the journey? Are you growing? Are you improving? Are you doing what Kurt says and reading the daily verse every day? Are you taking time to read some Bible? Are you taking time to talk to God and pray? Are you praying for your wife? Are you praying for your children? I am amazed at the couples who don't pray for each other. I'm amazed at the women who don't pray for their husbands. I'm amazed at the men who don't pray for their wives. How's your spiritual life? Is it growing? Is it alive? Are you tired of making excuses? Man, I'm going to do it later. All right, that's the first area. Let me read you something. If you teach your child to keep their eye on the ball, but not on Jesus, you're missing it. Let me read it again. If you teach your child to keep the eye, their eye on the ball, but not on Jesus, you're missing it. Let's talk about your career. Now, I know a lot of men who don't work at all. That's not good. At my house, if I didn't work, I'd have a little suitcase packed, and I'd be right on the front sidewalk looking for somebody to pick me up. Yeah, there wouldn't be any living at my house and not working. I'm talking about my wife. And then I know men who work too much, and they work all the time. You've got to have balance in that area of your life. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But I also know this, and you've heard that saying before, we work to live, we don't live to work. Can I tell you something, gentlemen? Your children don't care what you do for a living. Your kids do not care what you do for a living. They don't care how much money you make. You know what they care about? Do you have time for them? And the video said that time's one of the most precious commodities you have. How are you doing in the area of your job? How are you doing in your career? How are you doing as a Christian? Here's the next area I want to talk to you about, and that's your social life and recreation. Kurt and I, back in May, attended a pastor's conference in Dallas, Texas, and we heard one of the most influential pastors in America speak. And if I said his name, many of you would know him. Uh, he has the, one of the top five largest churches in America, top five. The church has over 30,000 members in it. And in pastoring this, it has so worn him down and so emotionally and physically been hard on him <clears throat> excuse me, he's had to get counseling because he didn't know if he was going to make it physically. And one of the things the counselor asked him was this, name me who your top four friends are. And he named them off. And the counselor said, are these people outside of your job or inside your job? He said, no, these are guys I work with. He said, so the only friends you have then are the friends with inside your job. And he said, yeah. He said, tell me the last movie you went to see with your friends. He said, oh, I've never been to a movie with any of my friends. I don't have time for that. Listen, your family needs you to make time for friendship, for fellowship, and for recreation. It can't be all about your job. It can't be all about the dollar. It has to involve those other things. Amen? All right, let me show you the next thing. Let's talk about your money. That's a fun one. How are you with your money, gentlemen? Are you self-centered when it comes to money? Or are you about your family? 
Several years ago, I had a lady come to my office who wanted marriage counseling, and this is a couple that were older. Their children were grown and married, and they had grandchildren, and they were empty nesters. And this lady came into my office, and she hung her head, and she began to weep. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, my husband wants what he wants when he wants it, and I have to make it work financially. He's going to buy what he wants when he wants, and then I'm the one responsible to make it work on paper. And she said, and I don't know if I can do it anymore. How are you with your money? Are you a giver? Are you a giver? Are you good at giving? Are you helping us do what we do right here? Are you a tipper or are you a giver? There's a difference. How are you with your money? Does your money have you by the throat? You know, money's a holy thing. You know that, don't you? And God wants to hold us accountable. He will hold us accountable for what we do with our finances. How are you doing with your finances and with your money? Here's the next thing I want to talk to you about, and that is family. Family. I read a study recently, and this study has found out that your daughter's emotional foundation, her self-esteem foundation comes from her relationship with her father. Here's what they found out. Not from being on a championship athletic team, not from being uh, in sports, not from uh, maybe being academically excellent, not any of those things. The things that we think we want to put our kids in so they'll feel good about themselves. They've done studies that whether it's sons or daughters, that they get their, they get their emotional well-being, they get their sense of well-being from their relationship with their dad. Now, if, unless you've been on the moon, y'all know that I have a new granddaughter, right? That was a pretty bad response. Come on, y'all. Yes. Her name is Annie Gray, and uh, she's almost six months old, and we took her to camp. Uh, she had her first camp. She even had a name tag. And uh, here, I, first off, I want to talk about her because I'm preaching, all right? Amen. Somebody asked me, are you going to preach about her every Sunday? Yeah, probably. <clears throat> And here's what I know. Uh, anytime she does anything, we're excited. When she makes eye contact with me, I'm excited. After she eats, when she burps, we run around the room and holler because we're excited. Okay, her bodily functions thrill us, okay? And I won't get too graphic this morning, okay? But anytime she does anything, we're excited. Now, fast forward 16 years. I'm right over here at, at our high school uh, gymnasium at a basketball game. And the girls are playing basketball, and they've won the game. I can't even tell you who was playing that night, but I remember we won the game. I'm sitting over on the sideline, and as the game concludes and the girls talk with the coach and they break up, this young high school girl comes across the court to where the edge is, and as she gets there, her dad meets her there. And when they meet, he begins to dress her down and he begins to attack her, and he begins to criticize her because of her play in the game and because she didn't score enough points. Now, never mind they won the game, but he dresses her down, and he's doing it loud enough that we can hear. And as he does this, we watch her begin to weep. And she cries as he dresses her down and criticizes her play and criticizes her defense and criticizes her offense and criticizes how many points she scored. And here's what I don't understand. How do you go from they're cute when they burp to you're mad because they don't score enough points? A daughter's self-esteem is seated 
and her father's love and approval. My daughter-in-law has played on two state championship basketball teams from Nazareth, Texas. And she said that when they would go into the locker room at halftime, one of the girls would come up and say to the coach, oh, coach, you have to let me play. Coach, you have to put me in. Coach, I have to score more points because if I don't, my dad's going to be mad. And she said that was always a sure way to not get to play. It was a sure way not to get to score points because the coach and the dad were competing on who was going to decide what the game was going to do. Listen, gentlemen, your children need your love and they need your approval. Amen? All right, here's the next thing. Let's talk about you physically. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, let's talk about your health, dads and granddads. All right, I love it when dads say, oh, I love y'all so much but then you won't take your high blood pressure medicine. Oh, I love y'all so much, but you won't get a physical. Oh, I love you so much, but you won't change your diet. Now, I know I'm stepping on your toes. It's okay, right? You see, you know what your children and grandchildren don't need? They don't need to be in here and me up here and you right here in a box. That's not what they need. They need you to take care of yourself. And I want to take a minute and encourage you and challenge you in that. Do you need to change your diet? Do you need to get a physical? Do you need to go to the doctor? I'm amazed at men who won't take their medication. Oh, I forgot. I'm amazed at men when they go to the doctor. I had a guy tell me one time, the doctor says, I need to change how I eat. I'd rather be dead. Oh, but I love my family. No, you don't. You love yourself. Amen? Come on, give me a better amen than that. Even a hand clap would be okay. Come on. Come on. I know it hurts to hear the truth. You got to take care of yourself, ladies and gentlemen. You got to take care of yourself. How about your diet? How about your exercise? Those things matter, amen? Here's the next thing, the last thing. Let me talk to you about your mind. You know, you are a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, and you live in a body. Gentlemen, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you read an entire book of the Bible? I didn't say the entire Bible. I said an entire book of the Bible. When was the last time you maybe read the whole book of Ephesians or the whole book of Galatians? When was the last time you read a book, period? Oh, pastor, I don't like to read. Oh, yeah. Remember when we started this message with you're going to stop making excuses and you're going to start being hard on yourself? Listen, one of the greatest things you can do is let your kids catch you reading the Bible. Now, I'm using an iPad to preach this morning, and my Bible is right on there. But I can remember when I was a kid growing up at night when my parents would go to bed, and I lived in a 900-square-foot house, two-bedroom, one-bathroom, little. My bedroom and my brother's was right next to my parents'. When my father would go to bed at night, he would prop up his pillow, and he had a white leather Bible. I have that Bible at my home. And he would prop himself up on his pillow, and he would read his Bible. Now, I had that image in my mind of my dad reading his Bible, and it influenced me. Gentlemen, what if your kids were to catch you reading your Bible? What if they were to catch you reading something, period, right? Right? Now, when I was a kid growing up, you know, and I would go sit at the breakfast table, my father would be behind the newspaper, you don't do that. I know that. When you're at the breakfast table, I know what you're doing. Let me show you. I'm not exercising my thumbs, am I? No, or a better one would be this. What am I doing? Say it. Facebook. Now, I'm not saying Facebook's bad, 
But I'm saying you don't engage your kids. That's what I'm saying. So take some time to grow mentally. Now, think about the wheel of your life. Is it in balance or is it out of balance? Now, again, I'm not looking for perfection. That's not my heart this morning. My heart is for you to recognize where you're strong. Thank God for it. Then recognize where you can improve and you can grow and where you're weak. And that's all I want to ask you to do. Well, if you decided this morning, I'm going to stop making excuses, I'm going to quit taking the path of least resistance, and I'm going to begin to make some changes in my life, whether it's more exercise and, and more lettuce and less root beer and it, or, or whatever it is, it's you're doing whatever you need to do to be the husband, be the father, be the grandfather, be the uncle that you need to be. Listen, gentlemen, the kids in your life need your love, need your influence, and need your kind words. Amen? Gentlemen, you matter. You have influence. The question is, what are you doing with it? Y'all stand up and let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you this morning for Father's Day. I want to thank you that we can take time to recognize the fathers and grandfathers and the men in our lives. Father, I am so thankful for my own father. I'm so thankful for my grandfathers. I'm so thankful for the men that have been an influence in my life. And I pray life, I pray, I pray grace, I pray strength over the men of our church. I pray for the young men. I pray for the teenagers right on up to the older men. <clears throat> Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, and have your way in our lives, Father. Help us. Show us where to change. Show us where to draw the line. Show us where to stop making excuses. Father, I'm thankful for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said?